Welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. I'm your host, Russ Chevalier. This episode is brought to you by a question from listeners just like you. You can help us grow our audience by telling your friends and peers about this podcast, by posting about it on social media, and by writing us a positive review on iTunes. I really appreciate that you invest the time to listen, and thank you for your support. Welcome to episode number 97. In this episode, we're going to talk about depth of field, how it works, and how you may be able to leverage it more effectively. I recently had an article published on this topic, and a couple of fellows took issue with my approach. I had proposed using the term depth of focus as being easier for new folks to get their heads around, and this set these gentlemen off. Depth of field and depth of focus appear mathematically consistent, but are different things. So while my intent was good, I did misuse the terminology. Depth of field is a measurement of acceptable focus. Depth of focus is the area in focus in front of and behind the sensor. My apologies for the error. Whatever we choose to call it, we're talking about the area of an image from closest to furthest that is in focus versus the portions that are not. Having everything in focus front to back will suit some images, whereas having only a very narrow slice in focus will suit others. And of course, there's all kinds of options in between. Different lens designs, and more importantly, aperture designs, impact how the out-of-focus area appears, often referred to as bokeh. There is a single point of maximum focus, and everything in front of that point and behind it will gradually be less and less focused. The point where that ceases to be acceptable to a viewer is the common determination of the limits of depth of field. I do microfocus adjustment testing for clients, and you can easily see that the focus curve is a continuum and not a hard edge. According to the documentation at the very superb Cambridge and Color site, what we're really seeing is the limits of the circle of confusion. This model is used to identify the depth of field for a given lens on a given sensor at a given subject distance. How this gets used in depth of field tables is loosely defined as the span which would go unnoticed in an 8x10 print at a viewing distance of one foot. Anything appearing blurred would be defined as being outside the depth of field. Let's explore some popular concepts around depth of field. They are, a larger aperture has less depth of field. A longer focal length lens has less depth of field. Distance between the subject and the lens impacts depth of field. The depth of field ratio is one-thirds in front and two-thirds in back of the focus point. And finally, that sensor size impacts depth of field. Let's start with the first one. At a given subject distance and the same focus point, a larger aperture opening, or smaller f-stop number, has less depth of field than a smaller aperture opening, or a larger f-stop number. Thus, f2.8 has less depth of field than f22. This is accurate, regardless of lens focal length, sensor size, or camera to subject distance. Let's move on to the second one. It's often incorrectly stated that focal length of the lens impacts depth of field. In all practical terms, this is an error. That point is critical because the physical focal length of the lens has no real tangible impact on the depth of field when the subject is the same size on the sensor. However, how the lens is used may impact the sensor to subject distance relative to the angle of view. 
What this means is that a subject occupying the same fraction of the sensor space will have the same depth of field regardless of the focal length used, presuming that the aperture is the same. We think that focal length impacts depth of field, but really it does not for all intents and purposes. Mathematically, there are tiny shifts, but they're so small as to be irrelevant. When you maintain the camera to subject distance and go to a longer focal length, the depth of field at any given aperture appears shallower, but it really isn't. What has changed is the level of magnification and the ratio of the distance from camera to subject and subject to background. We think about how the distance between the camera and the subject impacts depth of field, and as we decrease the distance between the camera and the subject, the depth of field at any given aperture will decrease. This is consistent regardless of focal length or sensor size. If you want more depth of field at any given aperture, increase the distance between the sensor and the subject. We're also going to hear that the depth of focus spans one-third in front of the point of focus to two-thirds behind. This is a popular starting point and it's accurate for a little while, but once the focal length of the lens increases, this ratio moves from one to two, much closer to one to one. In the example of a 20 millimeter lens on a full frame sensor, just under 40% of the depth of field is in front of the focal point and 60% of the depth of field is behind the focal point. If we observe, however, a 400 millimeter lens on that same full frame sensor, the depth of field split is 49.5% in front and 50.5% in the back. We also hear that depth of field is impacted by the choice of sensor size. And this statement is true, all things being equivalent. We also hear that there is less depth of field on a full frame sensor than on a micro four thirds sensor. This appears to be true, but really we need to take into consideration the focal length argument in that one would need a longer focal length lens on the larger format sensor in order to deliver the same angle of view. It's also a common statement that a medium format sensor has less depth of field than a crop sensor, say, or 35 millimeter sensor. It may look that way, but if we match the angle of view, we will see that they have the same depth of field when we have the same subject occupy the same amount of space in the frame. Now understand, this does require a change in aperture, as we will see. Let me give you an example. Let's suppose that we're shooting a full-frame sensored camera with a full-frame 50mm lens at f1.8, and we want the same depth of field and subject size, but this time we're going to use a camera with a crop factor of 1.5, as we might find in a crop sensor Nikon, an E-mount Sony, or a Fujifilm camera. Calculations will tell us that we're going to need a 33mm lens on that crop sensor camera, and it's going to have to have an aperture setting of f1.2. This does presume that the camera to subject distance is the same and that we are filling the frame by the same amount. If we move to the medium format scenario, again, comparing our full frame camera with the 50 mil f set at f1.8, we would need a focal length of 87 millimeters and an aperture of f3.1 if we had a six by four five centimeter sensor. It's also true that you can use smaller apertures with larger sensors before diffraction occurs. And this comes from how the airy disc phenomenon becomes impactful. This all makes sense when we consider that acceptable depth of field is based on the idea of viewing an eight by 10 print at a distance of one foot. An image from a larger sensor therefore would require less magnification to achieve this output. There are other misunderstandings around depth of field 
when it comes to using the smallest apertures. Optical effects such as diffraction will have a much greater impact on sharpness in many cases than depth of field does. Use of a very small aperture will produce sufficient diffraction to offset the increase in depth of field. Moreover, if we're working with macro lenses in macro photography, pupil magnification has an impact on the expected depth of field. A pupil magnification of less than one provides more depth of field than expected, whereas a pupil magnification of one has no impact at all. Since makers do not specify pupil magnification, use of exposure simulation or the depth of field preview on your camera will be more effective tools. A depth of field calculator can be a very useful tool when making images because a check against the tiny viewfinder, trying to see the depth of field preview, or trying to resolve your depth of field in the rear screen may be difficult. There are many tools available. The one I recommend is a tool called PhotoPills. It's available on the Apple iTunes Store and on the Google Play Store. PhotoPills does a lot more than just depth of field, and you can learn more about it at photopills.com. What I think is more important is to understand the basic concepts and use depth of field to tell the story that you want in your images. Different viewers will also have differing perspectives on the same shot. So maybe take a deep breath and place the emphasis on what pleases you in an image and less on the manufacturer's advertisements. If you've got an idea for an article or tutorial, or a photo or video question that's not necessarily related to this article, send me an email directly at ross at thephotovideoguy.ca or make a post in the comments. If you're in Canada, please consider shopping with Henry's in your local store or at www.henrys.com. If you're in the United States and shop with B&H Photo Video, please consider doing so through the link on thephotovideoguy.ca as this helps support my efforts and has no negative impact whatsoever on your shopping experience. If you find the podcast or the articles or the videos of value, please consider clicking the donation tab in the sidebar of the website and buy me a coffee. Your donation actually goes to help me keep things rolling here. Never be afraid to email your questions on any photo or video topic, and I'll try to respond within a day. I'm Ross Chevalier. Thanks for reading, watching, and listening. And until next time, peace.